The Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group is an award-winning team with hundreds of successful transactions under their belt. Through their national network, the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group works hard to help families realize the dream of home ownership. As a community advocate, Cynthia Joyner is proud to be the presenting sponsor of Jazz in the Park Huntsville. You can find the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group on the web at CynthiaJoyner.com. Hmm. Jazz, to me, um, means a style of music that involves a lot of uh, improvisation, um, a lot of spur-of-the-moment thinking, uh, a lot of... um, yeah, a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of changes that that can happen that weren't planned, you know, um, as as opposed to other types of music that may be a bit more structured, structurally based. Um, jazz is it's well, it's definitely a vibe, um, and it's vast. You know, there there are so many forms of jazz, and you got the people that. <laughs> that uh, they're often called bebop Nazis, uh, <laughs> you know. No, the jazz purist. Oh, if it is, if it isn't, you know, uh, straight ahead, then it isn't jazz. But come on, um, contemporary jazz by meaning just means jazz of today. And what that was even back then, what people are calling, you know, the purist, that was contemporary jazz then. And before that, jazz was something else. So you dig? It's like. Uh, never mind being too, you know, stuck on one thing or pigeonholed or, you know, feet stuck in a quicksand. Like, you know, just uh, chill, everybody. And, and it's, it's all music. But jazz is so broad. You know, you got your smooth jazz, you got avant-garde, you got straight ahead, you got Latin jazz, you got Afro jazz, Afro-Cuban. There's it's so many facets. Just, uh, you know, give it a name. Take a pill, you know, <laughs> have a glass of milk, a sandwich or something, and chill. You know? <laughs> Everybody just gets so hung up on labels and this and that, what it is, what it ain't. Is it good? Does it sound good? Does it make you feel good? Good. Case closed. Enough done. Jazz. Jazz. Jazz with Kenny Anderson. Pieces of a Dream emerged out of Philadelphia's music scene in 1976. Keyboardist James Lloyd, drummer Curtis Harmon, and former bassist Cedric Napoleon were and still are matched by the drummer's father and uncle Danny and Bill Harmon, respectively. Now, Lloyd and Harmon were swinging so hard as teenagers that the great Count Basie once proclaimed them, quote, a tough act to follow. But it was another jazz legend, the late, great Grover Washington Jr., the sax man who made Philadelphia his home, who helped Pieces of a Dream become the internationally known stars that they are today. One day while the teenagers were playing at the Bijou, where Grover had recorded his Live at the Bijou album, he sat in with them to play Mr. Magic, a phenomenal song that has stood the test of time. Soon Washington announced that he was starting a production company and that Pieces of a Dream would be his first act. Lloyd was only a senior in high school when his first record was released. Ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, for almost a half century, this has been a tour de force called Pieces of a Dream. 
And I'm honored to welcome to the Jazz with Kenny Anderson podcast platform, none other than one half of Pieces of a Dream, James Lloyd. What's up, brother? <laughs> How you doing, Kenny? Thanks for having me, bro. Man, listen, it is my honor. It is my pleasure. I'm just so excited to get into this conversation. And because uh, this is going to be a several months conversation, let's get into it right now. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> man, listen, man, take me all the way back to the beginning. And I'm even going to talk about the beginning, even before 76, because you've got some music <clears throat> roots, clearly, in a city that has been phenomenal in terms of turning out some of the most incredible performers over the course of my lifetime, which spans some 60 years. Um, tell me a little bit about your humble beginnings as a musician. Okay, it started for me when I was six years old and um, my uh, uh, teacher had a, a piano in, in class, a first grade teacher, uh, and um, who I had a crush on, matter of fact. <laughs> anyway, uh, Miss Gottlieb, That's another part of remember the her name, story, right? yeah, Miss Gottlieb, okay. So um, I was really good at like mimicking things, you know, even as a child. And she had a piano, and uh, so one day she was playing something on the piano, and I was kind of like mimicking her, like almost playing the same notes, you know. And um, next thing I know, um, my my uh, brother and I were, <clears throat> excuse me, we're taking piano lessons. My older brother, and uh, he was eight, and I was six, so we just, you know, regular piano lessons. And by the time he was finished the first book, I was finished the third, you know. So I I was really, I guess, gravitated towards it even at that age. And, um, you know, just doing classical stuff. But I also play things that I heard on the radio and records, you know, so I would like hear those. And then I would like, OK, learn these songs and and then different theme show uh, 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 TV shows uh, themes. And um, I would learn to like play those like Sanford and Son and, you know, <laughs> things like that. And um, and that was like the beginning. And then when I turned 12, that's when I. Uh, joined with was a band. I was just going out for band in uh, sixth grade, and that turned out to be a, a seventeen-piece ensemble of of jazz. You know, taught by these you know these elders and teaching us young kids how to improvise, how to solo over changes, and um, how to play blueses, and you know, uh, and teaching us all of these jazz standards. And um, so we you know we were in awe of watching them, and then. Uh, uh, and then learning from them. And, and that's how it all started. And, and that is when uh, Peace of a Dream, we formed a band out of that to, uh, to perform and, and compete in a talent show in school. And, um, and then we just stuck together ever since that and, and been playing together. So now it's as of October 19th, 45 years that Curtis and I have been playing together. My goodness, what longevity for sure. An incredible um, just legacy of performing, writing, producing, and so much more over the years. And we're going to talk about a lot of that. I want to ask you, as I said in the intro, about what was it like to be endorsed by none other than Grover Washington Jr. and to be mentored by him as well? Wow. Um, it, was, it was incredible. It was incredible experiencing it at the time, but... You know, now looking back, I realized that we were really too young to 
well, especially me, I'm two years younger than, but, than Curtis, but uh, too young to realize that really the, the, the gravity of what was going on and, and uh, who we were really with, you know, he was just so much like a, uh, um, not, not a superstar, but just a normal person and, and like dad to us, you know what I mean? And, you know, we, we grew up on the road with him and we would go over his house and, uh, you know, and eat and play pool and, and take a dip in the pool and, <laughs> you know, and uh, <clears throat> sometimes late night or whatever, he'd, he'd drop me home from, you know, take me home from the studio. And, you know, it's like it was it was like family, you know, and uh, this started when I guess I was 15. You know, the first album came out when I was 16 and um, it was, you know, it was. I tell you one one real incident that uh, that stands out for me to define how just giving and and just unbelievably cool Grover was. Mm-hmm. Um, one one of those Grover pieces Grover tours, uh, you know, we would open for him as pieces and p- perform in his rhythm section. I was like his main keyboardist as well. So um, there was a tour that started Friday, three months tour pieces in Grover. And this is Tuesday night, you know, after rehearsal, I broke my left wrist. So, <laughs> yeah. So the next day I showed up, <laughs> I called, I called the keyboard player at like two o'clock in the morning with a crazy idea. And then I showed up the next day. At, we had two more rehearsals, Wednesday and Thursday with Grover. And then tour started Friday. I showed up with this uh, keyboard player and a broken wrist and a cast. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, this is a cursed out. And I got this idea that, um, you know, he'll uh, have him play like the chords that my left hand would play. We'll set up a keyboard rig for him. And uh, yeah. And boom. So Grover's like, all right, let's try it. You know, I mean, just like that. So then we started that rehearsal Wednesday and then Wednesday night, he came over to my house to sh- so I could show him what he had to do for pieces. You know? Um, so, and then Thursday we did the exact same thing Went the Grover rehearsal came over to my house for, you know, showing pieces stuff. And then Friday, the tour started and I had uh, the cast on the whole three month tour. Um, so I'm playing with one hand and we have like another keyboard player. So this is something. OK, imagine back then uh, a, a whole nother pay that, you know, Grover has to shell out another airfare, another hotel, another per diem, uh, another keyboard rig that's got to go on the rider. <laughs> you know, and like this is a lot to, to undertake just to, you know, accommodate me with a broken wrist so that I can still go. Um, it, you know, looking back on something like that, it's like, wow, that's, that's unbelievable. It's unheard of, um, I guess, to, still to this day. That kind of, I don't know, I, there's no name for it. You know, that kind of thing, just uh, of being that type of person. Yeah, it sounds like Grover was as cool as the other side of the pillow. Of the pillow, you know <laughs> it, yes, indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, that's awesome. Listen, what is it like to be called by the great Count Basie, a tough act to follow? I mean, that had to be incredible, too, to hear something like that coming out of Count's mouth. Oh, yes, that that was incredible. I mean, and I remember, you know, the like the night before uh, when we'd open for him and uh, it was at our our high school, you know, Martin Luther King High School. And so he we're like chilling with him and 
and uh, you know, Ready Freddy Washington and all the cats and in, in our band room, <laughs> you know, like just talking to uh, Mr. Legendary Count Basie, like and he's just kicking it with us, like it's no thing. Hey, young cats. And then, man, then we perform and then he performs and then we see that in the paper the next day. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that is so incredible. You know, uh, what, a, what a feeling, you know? Yeah. It had to be for sure. And um, it was still only just the beginning in a lot of ways, because as we as we've acknowledged, decades later, you guys are still doing what you do and you do so well. I want to ask you about this experience, because I'm always fascinated by this as a person that absolutely loves to see live music and and, and certainly appreciate the gift that some people have been given with regards to their musicianship. Uh, you were still a senior in high school when your first album was released. Yes. What was that feeling like? Well, that was that was incredible. I mean, I remember walking into school uh, with with like the album in my hand, you know, and. And, you know, to, to, to show everybody in, in, in class and stuff and all the bandmates and whatnot. And, um, it was, it was surreal. It was surreal. You know, I, I, I didn't have a tough time getting a date for the prom, I guess, you know. <laughs> 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 you know, it didn't hurt the social life, shall I say. Um, but, yeah, you know, to, like to have a record out. At, at at 16 years old and you know and 18 years old for Curtis and it was um it was incredible and then hearing our song on the radio for the first time you know in Philly it's like uh it was like that scene from the five heartbeats you know what I mean it's like <laughs> like oh my gosh ah! and uh warm weather that was our first single back in 1981 and everyone thought that was Randy Crawford but it was actually Barbara Walker but she sounded a lot like Randy Crawford yeah wow Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as you're talking and I'm reminded once again, as you're talking about just how powerful and influential, I'll call it for this conversation, the sound of Philadelphia, even though that was a specific brand uh, back yeah. in the day. But just the sound of Philadelphia, all of the musicians that came out of that time, uh, there had to be something magical to be in the midst of all of that music and uh creativity and genius being released upon the world and you were part of that. Can you just talk a little bit about what that was like on the Philadelphia landscape? Cause there's a, there's a who's who hall of fame list of people who've come out it, of that it, job. And it goes so far back. You know, I, I feel like we're just like the product of, of that environment and, and growing up in that environment. And, you know, it's something in that air that, that is has created all of these incredibly musicians and still continues to do so. Um, you know, I don't know where it's the, the, the pretzels, uh, you know, the Philly soft pretzels, where's the cheesesteaks, so, <laughs> you know, what, uh, just the, it's that vibe, you know, it's, it's like a Philly vibe is a certain level of soul to it, a certain level of funk to it, uh, a certain level of, you know, really digging down deep in the gut, you dig, um, you know, the same type of thing that I guess you you find in in places like uh, uh, like in Nashville or Chicago, you know, or Memphis, you dig, uh, uh, where it's just like, whoa, the music that it, it, ha it has its own thing. You dig. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm. So uh, yeah, there's it's, it's really like a Philly sound and it, it continues to evolve. You dig? It, it was vast to begin with. It wasn't, you know, uh, I guess as limited um, in form or structure as say blues or bluegrass, you know, as, as mm. just one thing, you know, uh, that Philly sound was, you know, TSOP, you know, Grover Washington, you know, Jeff Lauber, Pieces of a Dream, John Coltrane, you know what I mean? It's like Dexter Wanzel, you know? Mm. Oh my gosh. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many, Teddy Pendergrass, all right, come on. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it, it, was, it was already vast and versatile. And I think it's just continuing to, to be so even more. You, of course, recorded music for Electra Music from about 1981 to 1984, produced some seminal records as a consequence of that, including uh, Pieces of a Dream, We Are One, and Imagine This. Um, one of those albums produced one of my favorite songs of all time from Pieces of a Dream, Mount Airy Groove, that I still find myself grooving to even to this day. Uh, what was mm -hmm. the Electra experience like in general? Um, it was great. I mean, for us, you know, what do we have to compare it to? You know what I mean? Like uh, we're, we're on a record label. We got a record deal. Like we're just thrilled. Like this is crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're making records. That we, okay. We made one. That was, that was crazy enough. And like, oh, we're going to do another one. All right, cool. Now, a uh, little known fact, Mount Airy Groove was not the single. Um, actually the single was, please don't do this to me. Mount Airy Groove was the B-side. And mm. uh, yeah, uh, DJs, I guess, you know, had maybe just peeped and, you know, listened to the B-side and started playing that. And then <laughs> really got into that. And then that's how Mount Airy Groove took off. That wasn't like necessarily supposed to be the thing. That was the B-side. Wow. Wow. That's a that's a great backstory. And speaking of backstories, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to back up for just a moment and just help people know and perhaps maybe understand and maybe in some instances learn about the name pieces of a dream came from something and so tell us where the name pieces of a dream came from that came from stanley turrentine's uh pieces of dreams which is a song that we used to do and um uh, curtis's stepmother at the time uh mr peace um she had the idea that uh, there was three guys searching for a musical dream and we made up the pieces and and this that would be a cool name pieces of a dream and and at first we didn't like it we thought it was too long you know it's, it's wordy you know it's such a mouthful of uh, you know you know we used to things like the gap band or cameo you know parliament you know like one word thing like oh you know <laughs> it's like a piece of a dream. but then um it just sort of grew on us and uh next thing you know here we are 45 years later <laughs> Still pieces of a dream.
That's Fired Up by Pieces of a Dream. And now, back to Kenny's conversation with James Lloyd, co-founder of Pieces of a Dream, here on Jazz with Kenny Anderson. At the 25th anniversary, you guys released a project that I wanted to just talk a little bit about because it had some of my favorite performers on it. Uh, the late Ronnie Jordan, of course, vocalist mm. Mason Week, uh, saxophonist Gerald Albright, Kenny Blake, some names that people would certainly be able to identify and recognize. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, what was it like working with Ronnie and what was it like working with Mesa? Oh, Mesa is always, always a joy to work with. And, and we still work with Mesa to this day, do things and, uh, you know, pieces in Mesa and we'll back her as well. You know, so that's always fun. Always loved her voice <laughs> and still do. Um, Ronnie Jordan, that was, that was, you know, it was, uh, it was a real pleasure because, you know, I was already hip to him before. And then uh, when it came time for, for us to work together on this project, you know, he actually came to, to my house in the home studio and it was like, it's just real cool. Just, all right, a couple of cats kicking it, you know, and, and get some ideas together. And then we came up with like silly high. Next thing you know, oh, we got this full fledged song going, you know, and it was just a vibe. We just, we just got together and vibed in the same room and, and kicked it, you know? So yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah. Are there other artists that you've worked with over the years that just kind of stand out? Um, I'm going to kick yes. it off. First of all, I'm just going to say Miles Davis. Okay. Miles. Yes. We've had the pleasure of opening for him. And uh, that's, gosh, just being able to see such a legend and, you know, just being able to say that you were on the same stage. is just an honor. Um you know, there have been uh, a lot of people that, uh, well, George Duke was one of, always one of my keyboard idols. And then, you know, we got to work with and then become friends, you know. Uh, Jeff Lorber, another Philly cat, always one of my uh, keyboard idols since I was a kid and then got to work with and then, you know, on their record and, and then become friends. And as a matter of fact, he and I just played together with uh, Alex Zanchik at Spagatini, uh, what, a week and a half ago? <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, out in California. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Seal Beach. And uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, we've done a couple of gigs with him where, you know, Jeff and I are playing together. And that's that's just a, a great feeling. You know, uh, of course, the, the Grover uh, experience and uh, all of that, that's that's uh, that's transpired just because of that. Um, let's see some of the key. Th- oh, we got the back. James Brown for two tunes on the Lou Rawls mm. Parade of Stars Telethon. And mm. um, yeah, so uh, he was uh, doing a song and I had you know, Fender Rhodes on the bottom and the synthesizer on top. And he came around to my keyboard station and said, hey, uh, you got an organ sound on that piano? <laughs> Those were his exact words. <laughs> you got an organ sound on that piano? <laughs> so I, I pull up an organ patch on the, on the keyboard, top keyboard, and then he started taking a solo. You know, during the song, I'm playing the bottom keyboard. He's playing the top. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know he could play. You know, like <laughs> I was like maybe, I don't know, 19 or 20, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so then we're playing with him. And then he goes back and grabs the mic and then finishes the tune. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> James Brown just played my keyboard, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, things like that. And, and, and oh, gosh, having, um, having like, major college marching bands play our song, uh, Say La La, you know, like not just one, but, you know, I think it's 
at least two, if not more. Uh, uh, hearing that was just incredible. I mean, we were invited to uh, uh, TSU and and to hear their uh, rehearsal. And, you know, and they're like, oh, we got, we got a surprise for y'all. This is like the first time that they, we, we'd heard it. And, man, they brought us to tears. It's like hearing this, I don't know, hundreds of musicians, play, you know, this band playing uh, our song. You know, and it was in their practice room. So it's inside, you know, that we first heard it. Oh, man, we, we were just in tears, you know. So, you know, how cool is that to the smooth jazz group? to have college marching bands playing one of your mm. songs, you know? Mm. So uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, and, and to open for Count Basie and, and, and to open for Disney, Disney Gillespie at Disneyland, you know what I mean? Like just, just some of these experiences are just, uh, you know, unforgettable and, and could, could never be had uh, again. You know, one of the experiences that I have in my jazz journey, of course, has been, being exposed to such great music. Uh, at the same time, I acknowledge that a lot of new musicians that are on the scene today, I oftentimes think about some of the people you've talked about. I think about the, the people we've lost. I think about George Duke. I think about uh, Wayman Tisdale, who you guys have worked with. Uh, I think yeah. about uh, Grover Washington and Ronnie Jordan. I think about these losses and and I wonder if you could maybe contextualize, because you've not only had a chance to produce with these individuals great music and be on stages with them, travel around the world and that type of thing. Um, the transition of these individuals is more than just uh, the loss of, of um, you know, a human being and great music. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what those transitional moments are like and the impact that it has on jazz. Um. Uh, some of them, you know, gotta say, some of them are tougher than others. You know, uh, it's it's always just you know you feel a sense of loss losing any of our brothers and sisters in music. But you know, I guess the closer you are to them, you know, the more is is like family. You know, losing. Uh, but the thing about what we do, uh, the 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 plus side, you know, is that. There, there are ways for us to just live on, you know, uh, through our music and through um, the connections and, and the, that we've made with people, you know, how we've touched people, you know, with our music or our actions, you dig, um, um, with, with the people that we've helped, you dig, and uh, um, the lessons that we try to instill in others, you know, that, that, Grover is instilled in us. And then I've, we've learned from others along the way, you know, let music breathe. Don't play like you're getting paid by the note, <laughs> you know, uh, um, you know, always put your best out there. You know, don't, don't have like a, a, a price tag on your, you know, how much you're going to put into something, you know, if someone's paying you a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, you should be playing the same exact way. You know, you should put the same kind of care into it. You know, don't show up for something, first of all, late. Um, and don't show up for something unprepared. Do your homework, you know? Um, because the thing is, people won't tell you why they won't call you back. You just won't get called back. 
and you'll be sitting there wondering why. You know, people don't really, and they're not really doing these other musicians any favors by not telling them the truth, you know? So it's like when cats also mess up, it's up to the ones that know better to tell them, hey, at least explain to them, this is, this is not cool and this is going to hurt you. You know, uh, this is going to cause you not get work, you know, or get less work and this is bad, <laughs> you know? Um, and if they don't listen, then it's on them. If you, they, if you don't tell them, then it's on you. You know what mm. I mean? You can't expect mm. If someone doesn't know something and you do and you don't tell them, then whose fault is it? You know? So uh, it's things like that, you know, little things that, that aren't necessarily in the music, but have so much to do with the music, you know, uh, having a professional attitude, having a positive attitude, you know, don't, don't be talking negatively about people, you know, down in all these mu other musicians. Oh, this cat can't play. Or this, this, this. You know, everybody's on all kinds of levels and, and, and those levels change as you progress. You know, everybody started somewhere. All the greats started in the beginning, you know, and there's some greatness in people who uh, aren't at that top level as well. So, you know, you treat everyone the same. That's it's there's no difference. We're all people, we're all musicians, we're all doing the same thing, coming from the same place, trying to go to the same place. There's so much wisdom in what you just said. I want to ask you about a, a couple of other musical acts. Um, the late Phyllis Hyman um, is mm. just the person that um, still speaks to my soul in a very deep way. Um, my um, iTunes is loaded with Phyllis Hyman. Um, had a chance to hear her perform once in my lifetime and just such a memorable experience and such a memorable voice. What are your recollections about Phyllis Hyman? Wow, we've done many shows with Phyllis and uh, yeah, it, especially in our early years, you know, and uh, it, it was just really great, like opening for her and and seeing like the, the command she had over the audience, you know, with just ballads, you know, just how could she could just hold a note and just like just sometimes space and just waiting this this could have them on edge you know <laughs> it was like whoa <laughs> she was and the voice was just oh larger than life and she was such a cool person you know so yeah we've done many tours with her and, and i remember a tour with uh us and uh bill withers and then we backed bill withers too and <laughs> and gerald albright and we've done many of those and you know got to back so many musicians and and stanley clark and uh you know that was uh Back when those things were happening, put all these packages together, and yeah, it. Uh, oh, let's see who else. Sherelle, <laughs> mm, mm. Uh, yeah, you know, um, it was all all kinds of stuff, and um, yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's just been a, a heck of a journey, you know, and um, man, and it's still going. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's not over. <laughs> it's not over. It's not over. It's not over till it's over. And of course, we're going to keep uh, anticipating you guys doing what you do because you've done it so well for so long. I was sitting in a condominium in Atlanta, Georgia, back in the um, mid 80s, probably. And it was a Sunday morning and I heard a sound that I'd never heard before. I fell in love with it on that day and have loved it ever since. And it was the sound of a group called Loose Ends. 
And I, uh, I just want you yeah. to tell me a little something about your work with Lucens because uh, that still happens to be one of my favorite groups of all time. Oh, yeah, that that they are. I mean, they're like up there, you know, talk about like a uh, just a new sound, you know, that we weren't hip to over here. And, you know, I, I was hip to their music. And then next thing you know, years later, I get a call from uh, from Nick Martinelli. Uh, like, hey, would you play on, uh, you know, do a session for Loose Ends? I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> so I go down there and, and I'm hanging with them and meeting them. I'm like, man, this is awesome. So I take like a, a organ solo on uh, and on No Gratitude. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that, that was awesome being able to to work with them. And, uh, oh, gosh, I remember when I was living in New York, um, I had a call to do a session with Ornette Coleman and, uh, yeah, that session. And, um, let's see, also while I was living there, I, I did a few gigs with John Hendricks from Lambert Hendricks and Ross. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, we got to know him and you know, work with him. Um, I did four episodes of New York undercover, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the band scene that they have in there, the, in the bar, uh, that yeah. was like a walking distance from where I live. So, mm. uh, yeah, I got to do four of those. I did one with, uh, John B, uh, um, Al Green, uh, one with Luther and one with another vocalist. I can't remember her name. Um, so yeah, it was like, I would walk there and, and do those and, you know, just sit and hang out and eat in the green room and just, uh, okay, we're going to take another part. Okay. We're going to do the next part. And, and boom, there you go. That's your day. Then walk on home. <laughs> you know? yeah, that, yeah. That's called, that's called the good life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, um, when I was living out in, uh, North Hollywood for a while and, um, I was just at the cleaners and one day I just run into Jackie Jackson, <laughs> you know, and, and we just start talking and next thing you know, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was uh, working with uh, producing some, another artist and, and uh, working with another producer that I knew from Philly, uh, Shivani. And um, so now I'm like in the studio with Shivani and Jackie Jackson and this young cat that they, you know, working with. I'm like, ah, that just happened. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 funny how things just just sort of flow, you know, and and when when you're open to that, when you're open to the flow of life and, and you just kind of go with it. And a, a lot, you know, another thing I got to say to like some of the uh, up and coming musicians, you got to hang in there. You know, it's, it's not a race to a finish line. You know, it's if anything, the goal should be how long can you continue to do this? You dig? Uh, and if you're not where you want to be or where you wish you were or think you should be, don't worry about that. Just it, keep going. And if you keep going and you're still winning, you know, um, so don't don't look at it to be a, a, in, in any form of immediacy. You know, just look for the, the long haul, you know, let that be the goal. You know, James, you're like a wise sage who just happens to be a phenomenal musician at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you just have all these these wisdom nuggets that you're dropping. And I know that they're going to be beneficial to those who tune into this 
uh, chapter of the uh, episode that we're going to be airing here very soon. I wanted to, as we begin to kind of wind this down, give you an opportunity to let people know how they can stay connected to Pieces of a Dream. I know that coming out of the pandemic now, you guys are starting to get back on the road again. Of course, lots of good things are happening. So uh, let us know how people can stay engaged with Pieces of a Dream. Uh, well, they can stay, stay engaged with us through, excuse me, peaceofdream.net and also uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, I, 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 we're, we're kind of old, but we're, we're trying to hang in there with the, with the young folks <laughs> with, the, with the Twitter face. And, the, you know, uh, I, I still got my beep around here somewhere. Y- y'all, y'all can just page me. That, that'd, that'd be good. No. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so. You know, feel free to contact us. And, uh, you know, the best way to contact us, come to one of the shows. You will be oh. contacted. <laughs> wow. We'll, we'll get, wow. Some, get some real contact. You <laughs> know, I, I feel like, yeah, you know, I love our music. I love our albums. But I feel like uh, you have to see us live to really get the full-fledged pieces of a dream experience. I would highly recommend it. And James Lloyd, you have been a phenomenal guest on the Jazz with Kenny Anderson podcast. I appreciate your insight. I appreciate your enthusiasm. And I absolutely appreciate your almost half century of investing in the music industry and in the legacy of jazz music. Thank you so much for being part of this platform today. Thank you. My extreme pleasure, my brother. Jazz with Kenny Anderson is a partnership with Jazz in the Park Huntsville and is produced by David Person for David Person Media, LLC. The theme music was written and produced by Kelvin Wooten. Damian Malone provides podcast platform management. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Jazz with Kenny Anderson. The Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group is an award-winning team with hundreds of successful transactions under their belt. Through their national network, the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group works hard to help families realize the dream of home ownership. As a community advocate, Cynthia Joyner is proud to be the presenting sponsor of Jazz in the Park Huntsville. You can find the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group on the web at CynthiaJoyner.com.